Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Better Than Before. We're on episode 21. This is Tony Richards coming to you from the Clear Vision Development Group building in Columbia, Missouri, the center of the universe. So glad to have you on today's program. We've got an action-packed show today. Producer Bill is uh, here with me. Hi, Producer Bill. Hi, Tony. I want to start calling you Banana Bill. You got banana on your... (laughs) console today pretty pretty much every monday pretty interesting you have all these flashing lights and sliding controls and multicolored things and a big old yellow banana (laughs) right in the middle of it so uh, we got a great show today elizabeth eichenberger is going to be here she's the executive director of true north Uh, That is an organization that does a lot of great things in Columbia, and uh, we're going to be talking to her about all the great work that they do. Coming up in our leadership and business segment, segment three of the show, I'm going to be talking about seven reasons leaders fail. You can also just strike out leaders and put people in there, too. Should be pretty good. Want to kick off, though, by talking about the self-esteem workshop. I've got this coming up on September the 20th, and seats are going like pancakes. Awesome. Yeah, it's going good. We uh, we only have a few left, so you need to get over to clearvisiondevelopment.com and sign up today. What this is going to do is it's going to give you a full day with me talking about how to improve your self-esteem, which is basically the ability to love and care for yourself and to feel good about yourself and not be carried away by other people's opinions of you, and uh, also a lot of self-doubt. We're going to try to turn that down. I'm not sure that there is anybody alive who doesn't have some self-doubt, but what we want to do is have less of it than you do today would be one of our objectives on the uh, workshop day. Also, I want to teach you how to improve your self-esteem when you need it the most. There are critical moments. So you talk about people who are high achievers and high performers and people who have high degrees of success. A lot of the reason why they have success is because in those critical moments when they really need to feel good about themselves and feel confident about what they're about to say or what they're about to suggest or about what they're about to take action on, they have that self-confidence, that lack of self-doubt, that feeling of security within themselves that what they're doing is the right thing. What they're saying is the right thing. What they're suggesting will work. That's quite the endeavor to give that ability to people. And I'm not going to lie to you. You may not have it at the end of that one day that you spend with me. I'm not like a lot of those people on TV that say, you know, spend 1995 and in 15 minutes you'll be a millionaire. Most of the things that I do and teach take longer periods of time. I mean, think about it. How long have you had low self-esteem? If a person is 40 years old and they've had low self-esteem most of their life, it's taken 40 years of reinforcement for them to feel that way. And we're not going to change that in 10 minutes. We're not going to change that in 15 minutes. 
However, what we are going to do is we're going to give you tools and processes for you to exercise after you leave that day so that you can build yourself up and you can start reversing that low self-esteem trend and replace it with a, a constant building up of your self-esteem and go in a positive manner. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about you becoming an egotistical maniac. Really where you want to be is you want to have high self-esteem and you want to think a lot of yourself. You want to care a lot about yourself. You want to love yourself a lot, but you also want to retain a degree of humility where you stay teachable, you stay coachable, you stay humble, yet you feel good about the direction you're going in and the things that you have to do. That is like the perfect combination where you have high self-esteem and a high degree of humility. And believe me, I've worked with a lot of people that have high self-esteem and have high ego. It takes a little bit to, to notch that back, but we want to teach you how to improve your self-esteem when you need it most. And that's almost all the time. Uh, our social media contest is going on right now. You can find that on our Twitter feed. You can find it on our Facebook page. All the places you follow Clear Vision all have the chance for you to sign up to win a seat at the Self-Esteem Workshop. There's going to be one winner and a bunch of losers. So all you losers, you need to go <laughs> sign up. That doesn't sound right for a self-esteem workshop. I was just thinking does the it? same thing. You loser? <laughs> doesn't sound right. But what I'm saying is if you really want to go to this workshop, I would not rely on my chances of winning. I would go sign up right now. And hey, if you sign up and uh, you win, we'll just credit your money back to you. So better be safe than sorry. Go get your seat now. I want to keep this limited to 10 or 12 people in the group because I really want to do a lot of work with individuals in this workshop. And uh, we're already over 50% sold. So uh, there's only a few seats left, plus the one we're giving away is what I'm trying to say. So looking forward to seeing you. I hope I see you on September the 20th for the self-esteem workshop. We're also gearing up with the exponential leadership retreat. Uh, we think we're going to have one more of those this year, which is our ultimate three-day leadership experience. And we're also working on another project around a goal-setting workshop where you can come spend a day with me and set all your goals for the next five years and really plan out your 2019. Wow. So uh, that is in the intellectual workings right now to try to set that up and we'll keep you updated as we go. Okay, we got a uh, email yesterday from one of the people I follow that I think does a really good job of keeping up with what's going on in the world today, Peter Diamandis. And he's talking about uh, China's government laid out its plan to be the world leader in artificial intelligence by the year 2030. Eric Schmidt of Google explained it's pretty simple. By 2020, they will have caught up. And by 2025, they will be better than the United States. And by 2030, they will dominate the industries of artificial intelligence. And the figures don't lie. With a $14 trillion gross domestic product, China is predicted to account for over 35% of global economic growth from 2017 to 2019, nearly double the U.S. GDP's predicted 18%, and AI is responsible for a big chunk of that. PricewaterhouseCoopers recently projected AI's deployment will add $15.7 trillion to the global GDP by 2030, with China taking home $7 trillion of that total dwarfing North America's $3.7 in gains. And uh, things like Alexa 
and uh, Siri and Google Home and some of those are all AI, artificial intelligence type technologies. Um, the Chinese investments in artificial intelligence chips and electric vehicles have reached an estimated $300 billion. And artificial intelligence giant Alibaba has unveiled plans to invest $15 billion in international research labs from the U.S. to Israel with others following suit. Beijing has now mobilized local government officials around AI entrepreneurship and research led by billions in guiding funds and VC investments. And behind the scenes, a growing force of driven AI entrepreneurs trains cutting-edge algorithms on some of the largest data sets available to date. As discussed uh, in the soon-released book AI Superpowers, four main drivers are tipping the balance in China's favor, and they are number one, abundant data, Number two, hungry entrepreneurs empowered by new tools. Number three, a growing amount of artificial intelligence expertise. And number four, mass government funding and support. So, Bill, we are only a, only a hair away from you being able to tell the trash can to come get your banana peel. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. If we could name our trash can with artificial intelligence, what would we name it? Hmm. Uh, I was thinking Oscar from Sesame Street. Oscar, come get my banana peel. <laughs> All right, here's our stat of the day. More than 90% of 251 U.S. economists surveyed by the National Association for Business Economics said they think the Trump administration's current and threatened tariffs will harm the economy. 80% said the administration's efforts to ease regulations would boost growth in the short run. Nearly half said they felt deregulation would have negative consequences over the long term. On Wednesday of this week, the bull market will become the largest in history. I read about that. Nine years, five months, and 13 days, passing the record from the tech and dot-com boom of the 90s. And this bull run in the stock market has returned 320% through Friday's close. All of you who lost money in the big 2008-2009 debacle should have left your money in. Yep. But a lot of people go, oh my God, I'm losing it all and pulled it out. <laughs> and they've been so scared they forgot to get back in. 320%. That's crazy. The dot-com boom in the 90s returned 417%, making it almost 25% smaller at the same point in its life. Wow. Here's another interesting thing. Fewer U.S. workers are moving for jobs. About 3.5 million people relocated for a new job last year. A 10% drop from 3.8 million in 2015. And so just about every one of my clients has trouble recruiting. People just are not moving. They're locked into their job and they're staying there. That must reflect on job satisfaction then. I guess. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm not going anywhere. Same here. Good. Well, we've got Elizabeth Eichenberger here. She's the executive director of True North, and she's going to be joining us next. And we're going to find out all about her organization and a whole lot more on Better Than Before. Do you apologize for your behavior? Are you constantly worrying about what others think about you or frequently criticize yourself? Self-esteem affects everything we do and is one of the key indicators of success in business. 
Tony's new self-esteem workshop will help you develop the tools necessary to empower you to overcome the pressure and unfamiliarity of professional and personal circumstances. Through Tony's guidance, you'll learn how to perceive threats and vulnerabilities to better prepare for challenging situations, resolve the baggage that keeps you back, and improve self-esteem when you need it most. Join us on September 20th for this one-day self-esteem workshop. Space is limited. Don't let low self-esteem hold you back from living the life you'd like to live. Register online now at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to our Better Than Before podcast. Tony Richards here, and I'm thrilled to have as our special guest today, Elizabeth Herrera Eichenberger. Elizabeth has a vision. She thinks that life should be focused on those things that bring to each individual the most joy and fulfillment. She herself has found joy in the empowerment of others, particularly those most disadvantaged, those marginalized by abuse, poverty, discrimination, and neglect. For Elizabeth, the desire to see the empowerment and actualization of others runs deep. We have a lot of that in common. She's the executive director of the True North organization here in Columbia, and uh, I want to talk to her a little little bit about that. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you had time to stop by and see us. And um, tell me now where you grew up and how you got to the United States and Columbia <laughs> and, and all of that. It is such a long story, but I'm going to try and condense it the best way that I can. Okay. I grew up in a small town, a very provincial town in Puerto Rico. It's called Lajas. So Lajas is in the southwest, a little bit removed from the metropolitan area. It's very much like Colombia, you know, in a good way to describe it. Everybody knows each other. You know, we all kind of go to the same high school, either the Catholic high school or the regular high school. And so there's a really big community feel. I once asked you, like, what the culture differences are, and you said, we're loud. We are loud. <laughs> so give me, a, give me an example. Uh, so... I think that one of the big things is understanding personal space. Mm -hmm. So there's so many boundaries, I think, in American culture, particularly in the Midwest and how you speak with someone in Puerto Rico. There is this common sense of uh, if you know someone by knowing their relative, you're already family. The personal space is not three feet. It's more yeah. like one feet. Yeah. It's just very expressive and loud. And, I, you know, it's a so growing up in the South, I mean, that sounds like kind of the way I grew up, where everybody is sugar and honey and darling yeah. and yes, yeah. ma'am, no, ma'am, and let me give you a hug. Yeah, whether you want it or not, you're getting a hug. Bless and your heart and all that. So, right. um, But I can see where the culture divergence could be, like here in, in Columbia, Missouri, and, and this, that, and the other, because, yeah, I mean... You don't want to be sometimes too loud and too in somebody's face and, and all that. But how did you get to Columbia, Missouri then? Well, I came here for work via love. <laughs> That's the best way to describe that. Uh, I fell in love with somebody from Boonville, oh. uh, Matthew. And we had to make a decision at some point in our relationship because I was in Miami. 
and he was here as to where we were going to live. So we wanted to start a family. We wanted to get married and do all of these amazing things. So then you moved from Puerto Rico to Miami. No, I moved. I joined the Air Force right out of high school. Oh, so you're a rewind. military veteran. I am oh, 16 years. You. My first duty station was actually in Knob Noster, Missouri. Oh, okay. Which is kind of interesting that I'm back here full circle. I lived in Germany for a while. It was meant to be. <laughs> it was meant you're to be. You're supposed to be a Missourian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you got here because you wanted to be married. We wanted to be together. We wanted to be married. Miami is really expensive. And I think it's not probably compared to Columbia, not the best place to raise children. So then how did you become executive director of True North? Right. Well, this has been in my life path. I really worked hard on fulfilling my personal vision. My contribution to the world is important. And how do I make a career out of it? I studied women and gender. I have a master's in nonprofit management. I was doing this similar kind of work, empowering women and girls in Miami. And I said, I will move with the condition that I find fulfilling work or something that I know that I have the skill sets to do, but that I'm really passionate and I can make a really great impact. And it was all just very serendipitous, if you believe in any of that. I do. I believe in it very much. (laughs) I mean, looking back a lot of times, I I just think that when you look at your life in reverse, it kind of all makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? But going forward, it just looks like situations clashing into each other. That's right. Um, So I I very much believe that we all have various paths. And whichever one we take, that was probably the one we were supposed to. So how did the True North organization just get started as a national organization? So it's not a national organization. It's It's just in Columbia. Just in Columbia. Okay. Um, We're part of a network of uh, over 100 domestic and sexual violence organizations in Missouri. True North was founded about 30 years ago. And I love the story of True North because it really speaks to the power of people having a vision and following through with that vision and, you know, not letting anything stop them. It started with university student that noted a need for a rape crisis call center. And so as they were getting calls, as they were really trying to participate in social change and addressing this horrific thing that was happening and it was not being addressed properly, they were noting that people were calling not only for rape issues, but for domestic violence situations. And so they organized, um, they purchased the building, and True North opened January 1st, 1983. Wow. Congratulations on a, a, a longevity of helping yeah. people. You and I first met in Leadership Columbia, and as a lot of my relationships start, it kind of starts with that program because I get to meet most of the time, somewhere around 20 or 25 new people. I typically know four or five. Um, but during that whole program, you educated me a little on what you were doing. And then you were at a workshop not long ago here um, that we did. And you and I were talking about the the huge need that is existent in Columbia mm-hmm. for this. And I think I'm an average Columbia citizen that probably just doesn't know all the things that you do. And so tell us a little about some of the things that are out there that you guys help us with in the community. Our program is divided into two categories. So we have shelter services and non-residential services. We provide emergency shelter for those fleeing domestic, intimate partner violence situations or a sexual violence situation, such as human trafficking, stalking, rape, 
you name it. And so we have a 24-hour hotline that people can call in if they want to access services or even if they just want to talk about what happened. Anything that they need that we can be supported of, they can call that hotline. We have case managers that are directly involved in assisting those who are wanting to get out of a very dangerous situation, find permanent housing, maybe find a job, learn a skill, breathe, have a place of respite. We have master's level counselors available free of charge. So we have all of these services that are trying to rebuild that person from within. And that's at shelter. So we have also non-residential services. Not everybody that's in a domestic violence situation, an unhealthy relationship situation wants to leave. And everybody has the right to self-determination and that's okay. But what we can do is- It's hard to imagine. But there are people who do want to stay in those situations. And we have compassion for them because sometimes there's so many reasons why people stay. I think that we need to get out of the notion that why don't they just leave? Yeah, we generalize it, Mm -hmm. right, instead of knowing each individual circumstance. There are finances involved. There's love. You got married or got into a relationship. I like to believe because you wanted to build something with this person. Right. There's substance abuse, mental health issues. There's a plethora of issues, but each person has a right to choose. What we can do for those people is teach them how to be safe in the relationship. Teach them the dynamics of domestic and sexual violence and have a conversation. And once we present all of the facts, all of the information, let them choose. So there was a list there that you ran down that every time you say it, it just runs chills down my spine. Uh, Human trafficking, uh, drug abuse, Um, And I guess that human trafficking is also like just slavery, right? I mean, we deal specifically with sex trafficking, but yes, human trafficking involves labor trafficking. Yeah, they're using those people to make money. And I don't know exactly how to ask this question, so I'm just going to stumble through asking it. But do you find that when they hear that is going on in their community, they embrace it and want to acknowledge it or do they want to say oh, I didn't really want to know about that I think it's somewhere in the middle I think that there is no really a concrete definitive answer when it comes to that it is an ugly unimaginable thing mm-hmm. and to realize that our neighbors are participating in this that people that we know may be a part of it is kind of traumatizing so I don't blame him to be like oh but not here But the reality is that it is happening here. And it's not the SUV law and order glamorization or these foreign nationals that are being victimized. These are our neighbors. These are our children that are being victimized by violence and people taking advantage of other people. And it correlates substance abuse, mental health. It's all part of this connection of issues that are happening and, you know, they all relate to each other. And what's interesting is, too, is if you look at a lot of cases, um, there is a fine line from a nice, perfect suburban American life to what you're describing. Like, it's not that hard to get over that line and into that, right? Correct. I mean, and sometimes we just want to say, I don't want to think about that, or I don't want to know about that, or I want to turn a blind eye to that. But really, it's just two shades away. It is two shades away. And, And sometimes what seems is not always what it is. So we see women that are engaging in pornography or prostitution or dancing at strip clubs. 
there's a good percentage of them that are doing that without their consent, without their willingness. They don't want to do that, but sometimes there's leverage in, in power. And we don't know what really what's happening to make that person make those decisions. And you only know that when they come to you for help, right? They tell us their story. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Now, you brag about your board a lot, <laughs> I so I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, and I want to give you the opportunity to brag about them here. I would love to. So I have an incredibly dynamic, boots-on-the-ground kind of board. Sure. I think our success as an agency is directly linked to the contributions that our board members make, whether it's fundraising, advocacy, advice. They're always, always, always ready and willing to share their knowledge and their resources with me and the agency. I'm just very lucky and very grateful. That's good. You know? There's nothing like the job satisfaction of working for a good board. They're awesome. And they let me do my job. Yeah. So they understand that boundary. I think that's why we are really on a roll and we're becoming really, really successful. Now you've got a good staff too. I don't want to leave them out. <laughs> so tell me about your staff and your volunteers that, that work with you on these projects. We have 30 staff. And we have about 80 volunteers, very committed. I like to hire not only on skill set, but also on passion and commitment. So to me, that's the perfect recipe because it is hard work and it is traumatizing. But I need people on board that believe that we are changing our community, that we are transforming lives, and that we're changing our nation and the world. And so thinking in that big idealistic way is the only way that this can become system. I mean, do you think about it and do you track in terms of numbers? Are you able to share like how many people do you help in a year out of these situations? Last year alone, we saw 850 people. My 90% goodness. of them are from Columbia, My from goodness. Boone County, sorry. We had 500, um, access to 500 youth through the Columbia Public Schools because what the research tells us is that a lot of these violent situations is mostly, I think, adults not understanding what proper boundaries in a relationship are. So domestic violence, you have no right to put your hands on anybody. It, you know, people are people, everybody's a person. And so you really start learning and honing in on that in middle school. And so how do we teach about what is appropriate in a relationship in a way that is effective? You have to go young. I see. So your youth programs are educational. So you're yes. trying to reduce the amount of this stuff as they grow up. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So um, I always like to ask CEOs and executives that come on the show, what's your three big objectives for the rest of this year? First one is expand our sexual violence program. We're really working hard on, I want to make sure that we are serving victims of human traffic appropriately and that we are looking at the data, what works and what doesn't work, that I'm sending my staff to training. So even though you know somebody's fleeing a human trafficking situation, by all means, call us and we will support you the best that we can. We really haven't launched this. It's probably going to be January 1st of next year. And so having the staff be very prepared, and there they are. They've attended a lot of trainings and seminars. So can you give me some kind of an idea, any kind of statistics or anything that kind of shows how big a problem this is? So Polaris did an amazing research project. Um, they took um, all of the calls that were happening around the nation. And Polaris is a nonprofit that addresses human trafficking in the United States. What they were able to identify is the location of callers that were complaining or were concerned or were frightened due to a human trafficking situation. And so they created this map and they mapped all of these locations. Uh, like around, a heat map. Correct. Yeah. And 
Colombia was one of them. Oh. So we don't really know the complete source, but obviously... But we know the, it's a big problem. We know that's something that needs to be explored. What's the second objective then? <laughs> yeah, another thing that I really want to uh, focus on, I want to redo our employee handbook. So policies and procedures are really important. What I bring to the table to True North is not just this passion and lens of social work and commitment to helping victims and survivors, but best business practices. Yes. And you have to have that structure. I mean, it's very sensitive what you're dealing with, yes. right? And so people have to be treated the same and, and you have to make sure that you're your factory, for a better term, of when they're coming through and being able to service all these people. I mean, you have to have standards in place. You have to have standards. I have standards and expectations not only for the staff, but for the client to know what we can offer and not setting up false hopes. This is what True North is able to offer, and this is what is up to you. That's fantastic. What's number three? I want a new fence in the shelter. New fence? (laughs) New fence. Ah, so if anybody now, wants to donate a fence. <laughs> I was just getting ready to say, if anybody can can donate, you know, something toward the fence, you'd be happy. Oh, I would it? love that. I really have a vision of having a hanging garden around the fence and having the women, you know, understand farming principles and how to farm to table. I think it can be incredibly therapeutic, but also help them be self-sustainable if they have a little backyard or maybe they don't have a backyard, how can they use the resources and the environment that they have to do something like grow food? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are three great objectives. Now, if you weren't doing this, I think I know the answer to this (laughs) now, but um, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I really love serving in this capacity. I spent a lot of time and effort and education. Um, I believe the empowerment and self-esteem building of people in general, I think is very, very important. I think especially when it comes to women and girls, it is really directly correlated to the well-being of our communities, our nation, the world. So I feel like I'm making an incredible impact doing that. That being said, I am also very interested in understanding the roots of male violence. So I would probably be working with children, doing research on male violence, and understanding because we're in this together. So this is not just a women's issue, this is also a men's issue. What are we doing to you know help our society move forward? So I'm going to throw you a little curveball here <laughs> because I didn't prepare you for this question, but it just occurred to me. So I want to ask, because we're doing a lot of material in our content this uh, period of time about self-esteem. I've got a self-esteem workshop coming up and some stuff like that. And I could just imagine that the people that come to you I mean, their self-esteem has just been shattered, right? Even beyond depths that we can even imagine. So what do you think the number one or two thing is that you can do for these people to help them start to build that back? We're trying. So I think a lot of positive reinforcement. At True North, we've also developed something called the Serenity Room, which is a space where the women can come in and pray if they want to, whatever religion of their choice. We have yoga classes. and They they can come in and just be. Just be. No noise. You know, we have great partnerships with religious leaders and non-religious leaders in the community. So I think it's really important. Part of my contribution to True North is bringing that holistic approach. I don't like Band-Aids. I really want to get to the root of how I can change those intergenerational patterns of violence. And I know that it is a lofty goal. It is not easy. Change is hard. Change is slow and it takes time. But if I'm planting a seed, I feel like I have had a successful encounter with that client. So we have a skills development center 
that can help their self-esteem because they're learning a skill. We have support groups where we can share in a, in a group environment so all these things. So start giving them little successes. Little successes. We have an empowerment tree. So we celebrate little successes. I got a job. I quit smoking. I haven't used in a month. These are things that we need to celebrate. Yeah. I think visualization is so powerful. I I think the, if you can provide that serenity room for them and you can teach them that through whatever means, prayer, meditation, um, teach them techniques to visualize themselves in a better place. Absolutely. Um, those are all really powerful, I think. Incredibly powerful. So what's the best way for people to help True North? So many ways. <laughs> people need to find out what really works for them. So financial support is always at the forefront of my needs because I have a vision. And so I've really dissected this vision. I know what I need to get to where we need to go. And so that financial support gives me a lot of flexibility. All this stuff doesn't just happen. That right? I mean, happen. you got to have some money. That's right. Um, but you know, there are other ways to get involved. Um, if people maybe don't want to make a donation or they don't have the financial opportunity, we have volunteers. We have over 80 volunteers. We're always in need of more. We have program volunteers that are needed. And then we have regular project volunteers. So if anybody's interested in volunteering for True North, they can just give us a call. That's great. And so I've got this list of closing questions I want to ask you. And these will be like rapid fire. So the first thing that comes to mind. So what's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? This morning waking up and seeing my 11-month-old big old grin greeting me. Wonderful. What's the number one hero in your life? I find that not one person is deserving of uh, that title, but rather quality in people. I'm profoundly inspired by those who, in spite of everything, hardship, loss, and you know, neglect, they manage to see the world for the beautiful, amazing place that it is. Good. And top value you subscribe to? Compassion to self and others. Most important person in your life? I think everybody has value and adds value to your life, whether you can really see it at the moment or not. Right now, my children need the most out of me, and they're my legacy for the future. So I would say Julian and Adrian. All right. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> my iPhone, because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never heard that on the show. iPhone. What's your favorite food? Um, I have a Dominican heritage, so there's this food called the Tres Golpes, which is a dish of salami, cheese, and mashed plantains. Wow. That it's sounds delicious. good. It's delicious. It is. getting close to lunch. <laughs> uh, most beautiful place you've been to? Switzerland. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Integrity. I think that success is more of an everyday journey, and each day it looks different. But I think if you lived with the integrity and you acted with, within your principles, it's a successful day. You spoke about your children being your legacy. How do you <laughs> want to be remembered? As someone who worked hard to understand herself and what made her happy and hopefully provide some inspiration to others. Advice for a younger Elizabeth. There are others like you. What's your favorite sound? My son's laughter. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your iPhone ring. <laughs> no. What's the best lesson you've learned? This is a good one. Life is a series of events and experience that happen to you, many of which you have no control over. Um, but what you do have is the power to choose how these will impact your life because at the end of the day, the glass is neither half full or empty. 
That's it's so all true. about perception. So true. Elizabeth Herrera Eichenberger, Executive Director of True North. How can people reach you on the internet? What about your website? So we have a website, www.truenorthofcolumbia.org. That'd be wonderful. And I'm sure if you just put True North of Columbia in your Google machine, there will be all sorts of ways they can contact you. And I'm going to urge everybody to do that because uh, this is a very viable concern in our community that needs to be addressed. And you're doing amazing work. And I want to personally thank you for everything you're doing. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Elizabeth Eichenberger from True North. I'll be back with more on Better Than Before right after this. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Great conversation with Elizabeth Eichenberger today. Love her, love her work, love what she's doing, love the organization True North. I'm going to encourage you to somehow get involved with that organization, either on a volunteer basis, on a donation basis, some kind of support, because they're doing great things in our community. Leadership lesson today, seven reasons leaders fail. And if you don't consider yourself a leader, first of all, you're wrong. You can also say this is just reasons people fail in general. You can identify people headed toward failure when you see any of these that are present. Let's start out. Number one reason why leaders fail. Lack of preparation. Primary reason people fail in business and in life is because they don't prepare. They're poorly educated. They're poorly prepared. And when I say poorly educated, I don't mean formally. I don't mean because you didn't go to college. I don't mean because you only went to the seventh grade or something like that. I'm talking about educating yourself and training yourself and preparing yourself. And they fail because they don't have the skills or their experience or maybe inadequate financing. Um, You know, you can even trace the inadequate financing back to lack of preparation because you didn't do a very good job preparing yourself in your business or in your position with budgeting and with uh, figuring out your cash flow and those kinds of things. So you didn't get the proper financing because you didn't do the prep work. Adequate preparation does not require formalities or a long apprenticeship, but it does require complete awareness and ability to perform the skills required. How you prepare can vary from attending school to swinging a bat a thousand times to shooting 5,000 free throws. There's all kinds of ways to prepare. If you practice daily, Your chances of hitting a home run increase dramatically over those of the batter who rarely swings a bat. Preparation dramatically increases your chances of achievement, excellence, and getting ahead in your business, your career, and in life. If you shortcut preparation, you're going to have a very good chance of striking out. Preparation is the most important component 
of success because if you don't prepare, you shouldn't even be in the game. Number two reason why leaders fail is lack of focus. Lack of focus on their life, lack of focus on their goals, lack of focus on their career, lack of focus on the key elements they need to succeed. Achievers establish goal-oriented activities and attitudes and their thought processes are directed consistently toward that well-defined goal. The goal itself is not as important as the daily progress toward achieving it. That's going to require some focus. Now, one thing that a lot of people do not talk about much is sometimes you can over-focus. You get too focused in and you get something called target fixation. And you can't take your eyes off of the thing you're focusing on and you lose all your objectivity about the subject or about the thing you're talking about because you're over-focused. You have this huge myopic view. You have a huge blind spot because you're over-focused. You need to take three steps back and take out the wide lens and look at. And don't forget my focus principle that I teach all the time. What you focus on always gets bigger. Because you're giving energy to it, and anything you feed energy to is going to be vibrant and alive and big. If you just had a disagreement with your significant other, and you keep rolling that agreement over and over in your head, or if you keep arguing, you keep supplying energy to that argument, and you keep supplying energy to that thought process, that argument's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and noisier and noisier. And you have to remove the energy from it if you want it to die. And when you remove focus from things, you're essentially taking energy away from it. And when you take energy away from a fire, you stop putting logs and you stop putting wood on it, the fire goes out. You have to determine the right amount of focus, the right amount of energy that needs to be put toward the thing and apply it uh, as needed. And I really believe that your destiny requires diligence. If you want the best plan and results and destination for your life, your career, and your business, it's going to require some diligent focus. Going along with that, reason number three why leaders and people fail is a lack of discipline. Also could be called a lack of commitment. When you would rather be doing something instead of what you should be doing, it takes discipline to stay focused and work hard. If, if you'd rather be out playing golf instead of putting focus and diligence around that significant key item that you know needs your attention and you go play golf, you lack discipline. If you stay and you stay focused on that key issue and you are diligent about executing it, then you've got some discipline. One time somebody said to me, to be successful, you got to do the things you don't want to do. And I would tack on the end of that. What I always say is you need to do the things you don't want to do if you want to be what you always thought you could be. And that's going to take some discipline and commitment, but you will eventually pass and get ahead. A successful person has non-negotiables that they will not fall below those non-negotiables and it keeps their diligence It keeps their discipline and it keeps them winning. Number four reason why leaders fail is a lack of execution. Winston Churchill said that plans are basically worthless, but planning is invaluable. And I would agree with that. Planning is invaluable, but at some point along the line, you've got to execute what you planned. 
Long-range planning and analysis are vital parts of business life. You've probably known individuals who never get past planning and analysis. Analysis by paralysis, some people call it. These people fail because they put all their efforts into preparing for work and precious little energy devoted toward actually doing the work. Stephen Pressfield said he knew he had become a professional writer when he quit thinking about the work and started doing the work. A case in point I could bring up is that many professional students at colleges and universities who maybe never plan to work, they're just going to be a student their whole life. Same type of individual exists in business, I can tell you that for sure. Some individuals are very adept at developing, designing, creating, or studying problems and opportunities, and they never execute what they've developed. They're professional planners. Failures always have another project or another new idea that comes along that allows them to shelve their most recently planned idea or program. These kinds of people would be great on committees who study a need to death and eventually fail or else move on to some other idea that needs studying or some other topic that needs discussion, but they never really execute. So you've got to decide that I am going to be someone who executes on my great ideas, on my great plans. I'm going to have the diligence and execution to cause them to come to fruition. Number five reason why leaders fail is a lack of tenacity. Failure also results from poor follow through and a lack of tenacity. Unless you're a genius and I don't qualify, you probably won't achieve your objective the first time. It usually takes six sales attempts to bring a new customer on board. And a lot of us give up after we've gotten one or two no's. Unfortunately, most salespeople stop after the third rejection. Failure results from giving up before you get to your objective. Many businesses fail, as I mentioned before, due to undercapitalization. Money isn't the only culprit. Equally important is the inability of the company leader to hang in there and to be resilient. If you want to achieve, you better develop your staying power because life, business, careers are kind of tough sometimes and you're going to get knocked down. There's the famous Chinese proverb of get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Reason six why leaders fail. A lack of willingness to handle all aspects of their responsibility. Sometimes people don't want to handle certain areas that come under their area. They don't want to get down and dirty. They don't want to get down in the details. Some leaders consider going on sales calls to be beneath them. Some leaders consider accounting beneath them, understanding the numbers. If you had an event somewhere, some leaders consider setting up chairs or helping at concession beneath them. Sometimes somebody might need help setting up the sound system for an event. Some leaders believe because they're a speaker, that's beneath them. So these unfortunate individuals have elevated themselves to ivory tower status. And they've gotten to the point where they're above performing all the tasks necessary toward achieving their goal. But I'm going to tell you the best way to know what's going on in your business is to visit 
with all those people that do all those things. Sometimes they're customer centric, sometimes they're business centric, and they're all kinds of aspects of the business that fall in your area of accountability and responsibility. And you better not get too far away from any of them. And you better put your uh, work clothes on and get in and grab a shovel and get ready to help because that's the best way to learn, stay involved, and show your people they care. Number seven reason why leaders fail is, and this is so unfortunate and so sad, but it's a lack of character. And I'll tell you something else that I've learned watching this over the years. I have worked with a lot of folks that when it really came down to it, they lacked character. I gave a guy a contract once and a big signing bonus that was a mistake on my part because I gave him the bonus. He never signed the contract. And one day he walked in with two of his colleagues and they all stood in front of my desk and announced that they quit and that they were going to start competition. Lack of character. You probably met people like that along your path. You've probably known people who constantly find fault with other people, but they're incapable of recognizing their own faults and deficiencies. People who do little as possible, yet they want to take all the credit. You've listened to people whose ambition is so intense, they habitually talk long, they talk loud, they talk negatively about their peers in an effort to make themselves look better. The forest is also populated by deceitful individuals who believe they can harvest rewards before they sow the seeds of service. Those who lack character avoid the basic fabric of individuals who are honest and have integrity. A leader who demonstrates uncompromising character over the long term and integrity and moral strength. These things generate an environment where people want to be on your team. They want you to be the leader. People want a strong, clear direction. People want somebody who's going to follow up and follow through. People want folks who are not going to tell you something that they'd have no intention of doing. I remember I used to freak people out at the church I was attending. They would come up to me and they'd say, Tony, are you going to be at the picnic on Sunday? And I'd say, no, not going to be there. And you could tell that it surprised them because they were so used and accustomed to people saying, well, we're going to try. Well, we're going to do what we can. You know, we're awful busy. We might come. And in their mind, they knew right then they weren't going. But for whatever reason, they just didn't have the character to say, no, I'm not going to be there. Don't look for me. If you don't have any intention going to the picnic, why don't you just say so? Instead of leading people to believe there is a chance you might show up. People do not want to wonder if their leader is taking unprofessional, illegal, or unethical actions. And the other thing that I've learned is this lack of character always catches up to the people who do things based on a lack of character. In the short term, it looks like they're winning it looks like they're successful. It looks like they're moving forward. But in the end, the universe has the propensity to self-correct and put everything in its place as it should be. 
Those are the seven reasons why leaders fail. I hope you got some value out of that. I enjoyed talking to you about it. Every edition of Better Than Before, we provide you with a guest that's going to provide value and teach you and educate you. And we definitely bring our own leadership and business lessons to the show. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4. You can also contact the show by putting a hashtag on your uh, question or comment, hashtag better than before on Twitter, or you can email us directly, send your questions and comments to info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We also would like for you to give us a uh, review on uh, the place where you get your podcast. We'll see you again next time on our next edition of Better Than Before. And until I talk to you next time, don't forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.